Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 21st. This is your host, Anastasia Glova. Cato's project on social security choice has been advocating reform and private accounts long before President Bush took up the mantle in 2004. The president's plan failed, but William Shipman, co-chairman of the Project on Social Security Choice at Cato and now Social Security Advisor in Sam Brownback's presidential campaign, published an op-ed in the Washington Times last week that signals that at least he is ready to revive the debate. What makes you bring up Social Security reform after it died such a painful death in 2004? Well, it didn't die a painful death actually in 2004, which some people say, and here's why. President Bush ran on Social Security reform in 2004, and he ran quite aggressively on it. He won, and then in his State of the Union address in January of 2005, he devoted about 20% of that address to Social Security reform. To the best of my knowledge, unprecedented coverage for a domestic economic policy issue in a State of the Union address. In the State of the Union address in 2006, he devoted eight sentences to it. What happened is that the oxygen during that year came out of Social Security reform and went elsewhere. And the reasons are many. One reason, I think, is that in his promoting Social Security reform, he never gave to the American public specifically what that reform would be. We really had no idea what we were signing up for. Well, it was privatized accounts. Yes, but that in and of itself is not enough. Does it mean that you have this privatized account over and above Social Security? It replaced Social Security? Are there any guarantees? Are there any certainties? Do you have to know how to manage money yourself, or is that taken care of? All of those details, all of which are very important, were left out. So most people really didn't know what he was selling. And therefore, they couldn't get excited in moving from something that, by and large, is considered or has been considered to be a pretty successful program into something else about which they didn't have full information. So I think in large part, the reason that this died, if you will, or at least moved from center stage, is because it was not well presented to the American people. Isn't this what Bush tried to do by holding town hall meetings? He still was unable to convince Americans that reform would benefit them. I would say that he tried to do it, but I would say he did not do it particularly well. Do you think candidates can once again approach this issue without fear of scaring off voters? Absolutely. Voters are not scared by having the freedom of choice. In fact, a well-designed reform program would be one in which nobody is required to leave Social Security. Everybody's allowed to. Now, if everybody, let's just say hypothetically, everybody is afraid of markets and investing for their own retirement, they would not be put off by this proposed reform of Social Security because they would not have to accept it. They could stay with the existing system. So they're not put off by having a choice, even if the choice is something that they don't want. What would a successful overhaul of Social Security look like? How do you package this in a way that's palatable to Americans? Well, the first thing is, instead of speaking about some of the arcane aspects of Social Security, such as the unfunded liability, IOUs in the trust fund, and so on and so forth, where a fair amount of time was spent by the president and by others in the administration, I would package it, brand it, market it, if you will, quite differently by using such things as choice. You are free to choose to stay with Social Security or go into the alternative system. You would be able to accumulate wealth. It would be yours. In other words, you would have personal property rights. So you would have choice, you would have freedom, 
you would have personal property rights. You could bequeath your accumulated wealth to your kids or to anybody else or any institution that you wish. You would be sheltered from both market risk and mortality risk at retirement by purchasing annuities for the rest of your life from your accumulated wealth. In the long run, the cost of that retirement income in a reform system would be less than the cost of the existing system and certainly significantly less than the cost of the existing system if we were in the future to pay benefits legislated in the present benefit formula because the taxes that are also legislated are not enough to pay benefits. Doesn't your plan require the kind of familiarity with markets that most Americans just don't have? I would say most Americans don't. You're correct. But does it require familiarity with markets to make the choice? No. And the reason is that in the reformed system, assuming that you have made the choice to go into it, you would go into one of three balance funds, highly diversified across U.S. stocks and U.S. bonds, foreign stocks and foreign bonds and cash. And these would be designed in terms of the portfolio construction and asset allocation based upon your age. In other words, if you're young, a large portion of the portfolio would be in stocks. And as you move closer to retirement, the portfolio would move more towards bonds. You don't have to know about bonds, stocks, portfolio construction, asset allocation, or all the other things involved in the investment management business in order to benefit from a market-based structure. What if any of the stocks and bonds in a person's portfolio happen to fail? They most certainly will. In fact, I have owned Enron. Enron failed. But Enron in my portfolio was one of many thousand stocks and bonds. Even though it failed because it was such a small percentage of the total portfolio, I barely noticed it. And the same thing would be in the design of the reformed system. It sounds like asking every American to become a trader and an investor. No, they're not becoming a trader at all. All they do is they make the decision to go into the reform system. That's their decision. Once they make that decision, they would not pay a certain percent of their payroll tax, and I would suggest five percentage points of the 10.6% that's for retirement income, and it would be mandatory that that 5% be saved and invested. They would have one more choice, which is which of the portfolios then the choices end. I understand that you're now advising Sam Brownback's campaign as his expert on Social Security reform. Will Brownback take up this issue seriously in his campaign? That is correct. There will be a white paper that I'm preparing for the senator, and it goes into some detail as to the balance funds and then the ability to move from there to another level where there'd be more flexibility. But to your question, that people would be able to trade, that is not so in the reformed system, at least as I have crafted it. The majority of support for the Cato Institute's work comes from individuals, and Cato depends solely on tax-deductible contributions to provide the public with a wealth of free resources, including this podcast. We hope you'll consider supporting or even joining Cato. For information, please go to www.cato.org.